What is up, my movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. Wow, we've got a packed show for you today. Uh, We're talking about Nobody, which I went to see in theaters this week, the Bob Odenkirk action comedy. And I really had a hell of a time <laughs> at the theaters watching that one we'll get into why then at home i saw godzilla versus kong a little bit of a mistake because it's a it would be a great theater movie but saw that one at home on hbo max um i finally knocked off a 1970s classic that i hadn't seen and then i kind of go all out um with something to stream this week a whole list of movies uh around a topic that kind of bears a little extra relevance and importance at our current time. So you're going to have to stay tuned for all that. But, whew, man, Pack Show, thanks for listening. As always, share the word for this podcast if you've been enjoying it. Somebody else who uh, would want to join this community of um, movie lovers, it's been great to hear from you guys. As always, you can get in touch with me at Mr. Matt Craig on Twitter or through the newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. Let's talk about nobody. The evolution of action heroes across the generations from macho man to guy you can have a beer with has been well documented, including by me in the Washington Post, shameless plug. But Bob Odenkirk's turn as a super assassin in Nobody has to be the logical endpoint of the spectrum. Odenkirk, a veteran improv comedian, best known as wimpy lawyer Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad, plays a guy named Hutch, who by all intents and purposes is, well, a loser. Until he isn't. If you've seen the trailer, you know he's a dormant hitman with yada yada, special set of skills, you know the drill, who gets activated when robbers break into his home and take a kitty cat bracelet. So it's basically John Wick with a sense of humor. No surprise, the movie was written by the same guy who writes all the Wick movies. The difference here is that whereas Wick's rampages come from a place of righteous revenge, Hutch's bloody murder feels more like finding an old board game in the back of your closet and then forcing your friends and family to play it against you because you remember you beat them every time at it. (laughs) Not that I know from personal experience. But nobody claims no moral high ground and begs its audiences not to think about anything below the surface. It operates with video game logic, where killing a bunch of bad guys is fun and killing them in creative ways is even more fun. Between a fire extinguisher, a stapler, the stop request cord on a commuter bus, and a flammable vinyl record, trust me, he's having a lot of fun. Odenkirk's terrific comedic timing is expected here, but his ability to pull off complex action sequences, it's legitimately impressive. The whole movie hinges on him being just as convincing as Joe Schmo as he is as John Wick, and he absolutely nails it. Ah yes, nails. Nails are also used as a killing machine. Don't worry about that. A lot of the violence is so intentionally ridiculous that the viewer's response to it is to laugh, which is a response familiar to fans of the Tarantino movies. As if Odenkirk isn't absurd enough as an action star, the movie gets Riza of Wu-Tang Clan in on the action, along with 82-year-old Christopher Lloyd, known as Doc Brown from the Back to the Future movies, shotgunning people in half. Between bursts of action is a brief and familiar plot. There's a Russian mob, a giant pile of cash, and an endangered family. The usual stuff. But the movie is hyper-literate in all 
the entire catalog of action movies and subverts the tropes just as often as it employs them. Hutch's enemies keep dying in the middle of his big dramatic exposition speeches, for example, which produces a laugh every single time. If you're into these sport, in, into these sorts of movies, and I assume if you've listened this far that you are, then this gleefully bloody romp is about as satisfying a 90-minute adventure as you can find anywhere. All right, guys, you know the drill. Every week, I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week, something new. It was the big blockbuster release from Warner Brothers, Godzilla vs. Kong, which is out now on HBO Max. And the first thing you need to know is nothing has influenced blockbuster filmmaking more in the last 20 years than China. Considering the massive amount of investment capital flowing from there into Hollywood studios on the front end and the activation of its 1.4 billion citizens into a box office powerhouse on the back end, it's no surprise shameless pandering to Chinese audiences has become a fixture of every recent franchise, or at least those large enough to penetrate the national limitation laws on imported films. Pre-pandemic, the Chinese box office was on the brink of overtaking the U.S. as the largest in the world. That is important context when you consider that Godzilla vs. Kong may be responsible for resurrecting theater, theatrical moviegoing globally. Its $121 million opening weekend was the best of the COVID era by a mile, sparking the first signs of optimism for studios like Warner Brothers. Oh, by the way, $70 million of that came from Chinese audiences. Coincidence that the climactic battle of this movie takes place in the streets of Hong Kong? I think not. Most people in the U.S., including myself, are seeing this movie at home thanks to the Warner Brothers' same-day drops on HBO Max, which is a shame because this movie is epic and loud, made to be seen on a huge theater screen with a million speakers. Despite my general allergy for big, loud, and dumb movies, I actually really liked it. Most blockbusters these days have become buried entirely under the weight of their own mythologies and require hours of investment in previous source material. But this movie expedites some backstory and doesn't need to give the rest. It's Godzilla. It's King Kong. And they're going to fight. That's all I need. <laughs> the first fight sequence when the two titans square off will send chills down your spine because there are legitimate stakes and you don't know who's going to win. Escaping the usual ine inevitability of the good guys triumphing in most blockbusters. The last 20 minutes bail out into a usual cookie cutter crap. I can't say more without spoiling, but I expected nothing different. I forgive it because the movie isn't afraid to lean into the ridiculousness of the premise and never takes itself too seriously. Take notes, Zack Snyder. Nowhere is this more apparent than the completely unnecessary yet totally delightful side plot road trip featuring Brian Tyree Henry, Millie Bobby Brown, and Julian Dennison, also known as that kid from Hunt for the Wilder People. Henry is consistently incredible. Denison is always hilarious, and Brown, well, you know, you all know my thoughts on her. Calling this a big three would be like calling LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Alex Caruso the Lakers' big three. One of them can't hang. Still, this movie is an unqualified success. If you miss giant spectacle movies, there's nothing better to draw you back into theaters than this CGI slugfest. Alright guys, this week's something old. It's a stone-cold 1970s new Hollywood classic. 
It's from 1975. It's on HBO Max, and it's Dog Day Afternoon. Now, this Al Pacino-led heist movie is considered by many to be the quintessential 1970s movie. And it's easy to see the similarities in today's culture of distrust towards authority, financial desperation, and eagerness for celebrity. But cultural significance underplays just how entertaining this movie is and way funnier than I was expecting. It's a Godfather reunion for Pacino, who plays Michael Corleone, and John Cazale, Fredo, who team to rob a bank in Brooklyn until everything goes wrong and it turns into a hostage standoff. The cool thing about exploring movie history is that after you see this, the excellent 2006 Spike Lee movie Inside Man comes into much sharper focus as an obvious homage and advancement of this same story. I'd highly, highly recommend both. All right, this week with the something to stream category, I decided that I needed to do something a little bit different. The senseless mass shootings in Atlanta a few weeks ago was the sad culmination of anti-Asian racism in this country that bubbled to the surface in a new way over the past year during the coronavirus pandemic. It's, it's really shameful. I won't act like watching movies can do anything to change the world, but I've noticed in recent years how many blind spots I have toward Asian cinema and even the recent rise in Asian American movie making. It's no surprise to find an untapped goldmine there. And if you're like me, I wanted to put together a very short list of a few of my favorites. So I'm doing some Asian American productions and some Asian country productions. Um, first, with Asian American productions, The Farewell, which you can stream on Amazon Prime. Simply the most underappreciated movie of 2019. This autobiographical story from Lulu Wong about a young immigrant, played by Aquafina, who returns to her family in China to celebrate the matriarch who hasn't been told that she has a fatal disease, is as beautiful as it is profound, and grapples with the differences between Eastern and Western cultures as well as anything I've seen. Next up is Searching, which is on premium video on demand, so you're gonna have to pay a couple bucks for it, but Anish uh, Chiganti, who's the son of Indian immigrants, made his directorial debut with the slick, true crime style thriller starring John Cho, born in South Korea, and is the best use to date of the gimmick where the whole movie takes place on a computer screen. Highly recommend that one. Uh, and lastly, Tiger Tail on Netflix. I mentioned this one a few weeks ago, so just briefly, uh, director Alan Yang retells the story of his father's immigration from Taiwan. It's brutal and hard to watch in parts, but it's also told with deep love and gratitude for the immense sacrifices uh, that immigrants make to come to the United States. So I definitely would recommend knocking all those out. Also, Always Be My Maybe, if you haven't seen that one. I'm not the biggest fan, uh, but speaking of John Wick, Keanu Reeves, <laughs> his cameo in that movie is amazing, uh, and um, that is a funny little rom-com. All right, Asian country productions. Uh, first up, I just want to shout out the movies of Bong Joon-ho. He's nothing less than one of the greatest living filmmakers from Korea, and he's the leader of the recent South Korean film revolution. Every one of uh, these movies is a must-watch. Parasite, which you can see on Hulu, Snowpiercer on, Snowpiercer on Netflix, Okja on Netflix, and Memories of Murder, which you're going to have to pay a couple bucks for on Video On Demand. Uh, next up is Shoplifters, which is now streamable on Hulu as well. 
this 2018 Japanese film has serious Parasite vibes, unraveling its plot through ever-deepening layers, but it takes a much more subtle and nuanced approach at what it means to be family, and <laughs> I really can't say more without spoiling, but I really, really love Shoplifters. Next up is The Handmaiden, available on Amazon Prime. It's from uh, Park Chan-wook. And yeah, this 2016 erotic thriller out of Japan also is one of those movies that will never leave your mind. And not just because of the somewhat graphic sexual content, (laughs) trigger warning, Uh, it's expertly crafted edge of your seat tension from start to finish and features one of the best plot twists of all time. And lastly, I just, I would be, what would this list be if I didn't mention it? Uh, Rashomon on HBO Max. You, You really can't call yourself a fan of classic film without exploring the work of Japanese master filmmaker Akira Kurosawa. Uh, His most recent, or excuse me, his most influential film, arguably, has become shorthand for one story told from different perspectives, which is a concept that has been copied dozens and dozens of times throughout the years, Uh, but no one does it quite like Kurosawa. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's show. Whew, I know it was a lot. Uh, we had a lot of movies to get through, a lot of recommendations for you. If you check out any of these movies, yeah, Godzilla vs. Kong, Nobody, uh, any of the, the Asian and Asian-American movies, Dog Day Afternoon, if you've seen any of those this week, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Get in touch with me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig or through the newsletter, once again, at mattcraig.substack.com. Over there, you can also find uh, this week's Trailer Watch, which is me talking about Guy Ritchie's new movie, Wrath of Man, starring Jason Statham. I love me a good old Guy Ritchie cockney gangster movie. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, a very favorable uh, recommendation on that one. And if you guys have any movies that you want to suggest for me to watch, uh, I am always open to suggestions. I love having conversations with you guys about the movies you're watching and the movies I should be watching. Next week, I know we're going to be talking about the Hulu documentary, uh, the WeWork documentary, um, but I'm going to have to look. Oh, and Eric Andre's prank movie, Bad Trip, on Netflix. If you guys have seen that one, let me know what you think. I haven't haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm playing to this weekend. Um, I don't know, yeah, if either one of those will be worth doing the feature uh, movie recommendation on. So, basically, I'm open. I'm open. You guys uh, hit me with any suggestions. And until next Friday, I guess, I'll see you at the movies.